Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a podcast platform to share interesting conversations from the most successful leaders within the Stockholm tech community. My name is Sophie Gould and I'm your host for today. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, the topic we will be discussing is how to get the best out of engineers. Now, I'm joined by a very, very good panel who have got a lot of ideas to share on this. And I'm personally really excited for this topic because I think in one way or another, um, the topic is relevant to so, so many people. And I know in the build up to this podcast, people are really excited to hear more ideas and thoughts and opinions. So let's get to our panel and into some introductions. Now, I'm going to work my way around the room and ask each one to introduce yourself with who you are, what you do and what you're passionate about. So Marcus, we'll come to you first. Okay. so yeah. Hello, Uh, Marcus, Derek. I uh, am uh, currently at uh, Ucia, who's a credit. Um, our credit check company, like check your credit if you're going to get a bank loan or not in Sweden. Um, and I'm a consultant, so I'm there as a, a team lead and a um, scrum master. Formerly, I was at Voy as an, as an engineering manager. Uh, and I have uh, 25 plus years in uh, testing, and then I uh, moved away from that. Uh, towards building building people instead of um, verifying developers short hands. So that's a little bit about me. I'm passionate. Well, actually, I'm passionate about. I'm a passionate diver, and I love that. Um, and uh, also uh, more of a nature. I like to go around, walk, take a hike and walks in the woods. Yeah, that's a little bit short about me. Oh, thank you. No, that's absolutely perfect. And Naomi, will come to you. Um, yeah, my name's Naomi Freeman, and I'm currently working as a subject matter expert in technical management at Nora Accelerate. So there's the university college here, and then there's the Accelerate programs that we run. Um, I think last time we were talking to each other, I was working as a CTO. Now I'm super excited that I'm getting to teach and train other people in how they can really, you know, take those next steps in moving from technical career into their next steps with leadership or you know, that's problem solving or getting their next job. So that's what I'm working on these days. Um, and it's been really great here. And I'm super excited to be able to talk with everyone here today. It seems like a really great panel. Nice. And Tobias, you're next. All right. My name is Tobias. Um, I uh, started out my career as a front-end developer, and, and that's where my heart still is. Uh, <laughs> but I've been doing a bit of more full-stack role since then. But uh, my I have a bit of niche for, for front-end still. Um, Currently working as a kind of tech lead in in HG. I'm a, I'm a freelancing consultant, and uh, I've always been passionate about helping others and coaching others around me. So I'm, I'm really excited to be talking uh, about this this topic today. And uh, on, on just on my personal time, I like uh, for example during the summer, I like spending my time out on the waters. Uh, I have a boat that I usually go out with during the summer. It's really really nice. So I'm looking forward to that season coming up soon here. Oh, no, that sounds like a, a really good hobby to have. <laughs> and yes. last but not least, Johan. Yeah. Uh, hello, my name is John Leiden. I'm uh, 28 years old and uh, I'm the CTO of Chaintrace. And Chaintrace is a startup that's building a 
SaaS solution, uh, mainly for the steel industry to help them with quality assurance, sustainability, and traceability questions. Um, additionally, I have a one-year-old daughter, so that's uh, where most of my free time goes. Uh, but whenever I get the time, I like to play video games, uh, go out to nature, and just hang out with friends and family. Oh, nice. I imagine uh, definitely between the job and the baby, you're definitely busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lovely. Well, thank you all for that. Now we kind of know each other a little bit. Um, I think let's just dive right into some of the questions or subtopics that I know each of you have, have prepared before this. Um, there's some really, really interesting topics that we're going to discover here and kind of dig deeper into. So we'll start with Naomi. Now, yours was, how do you create a great culture for engineers? So yeah, tell us more about that. Well, I think it's a really broad question. But it is one that I hear people ask, you know, how do I create a great culture for engineers? And of course, I think the first question is, do you have a great culture generally? Um, but that there's different kinds of cultures. And the, and the best question is, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve and why are you trying to achieve it? And then you you align the rewards and incentives for your your staff, your engineers with the things that you want to see happen. I think the biggest difference between creating great organizational culture overall and creating it with engineers is about that piece of belonging and how you can really bring engineers into any culture. You know, um, I hear people often separate engineers and say, oh, they're very different. I don't know how to work with them. And like, have, have you asked them? And so that would be my first step is like, in terms of belonging, like what kinds of natural interests do you see happening on the floor with your, your different teams? Um, what kind of, you know, Slack channels are there and how can you create um, events and interest groups and, you know, things around what they're already doing, whether that's, you know, Campfire Club or Dungeons and Dragons or people are really into craft beer. Um, of course, not everything has to be, you know, on site with the company, but how, how can you connect people who are already showing those interests and just facilitate culture that is already happening rather than, you know, imposing new culture. Um, and then aside from that, I think the second part is kind of, you know, how do we make sure engineers are working well with our company? And I think that takes some working on pieces around transparency and autonomy and ensuring that your engineers have the space to make good decisions. Um, so of course there are business outcomes that need to happen. There needs to be good communication about what the business outcomes are. But engineers are going to thrive in environments where they're able to look at a problem set and have enough autonomy to be able to uh, really actually make a technical decision about the thing that's in front of them without, you know, so many heavy layers, perhaps, of uh, business input or product. If you can clear as many of those away as possible so engineers are making engineering decisions, then I really think engineers will thrive. I'm wondering what, I see some nods and stuff. Um, I'm wondering what other folks kind of think about that. I think you're pretty spot on, I would say. Uh, um, uh, that's, um, yeah, I, I don't, you're right. That's what I would looking would be looking for as well uh, as an engineer. Um, and what I've heard, my my the engineers I've been um, leading, they want the autonomy. They want to have a chance to uh, experiment on their own to see what kind of solutions they could come up with, uh, or, or or technology they would like to use instead of being told what to use. And like you said, also having instead of pushing culture down the throat. I uh, used the code. I used the the, um, the uh, different people's. Uh, um, what do you call it? Um, 
East had the word for it. I lost the word right now. Decent people's strength, or yeah, uh, and the, with different ideas and how they come together, and then they could uh, outside of work as well create a culture, right? Not only at the office, but also cross borders helps a lot. I think, like you yeah, said, I, I agree. But it's a broad question, like you say, Nami. It's uh, I think in the re- recent years it's uh, been proven really well with like the remote work situation some people really enjoy it some people really uh, dislike that i think that's been like um, a divide in in general that's more maybe more company culture than engineering culture uh, but it kind of speaks to how fluid and dynamic that is and how hard it is uh, i haven't done that on scale yet uh, so I imagine that's going to be very hard. But from my experience, if you're in smaller teams, let's say up to 10 people or something, it uh, normally the culture just kind of grows naturally and organically in the team. And if you then uh, grow sensibly, uh, normally that morphs into something that everyone is kind of getting along with, so to speak. Um, but uh, I, I guess that's one of the big questions for, for larger companies. I, I, I would... Oh, please go I think it's really interesting that you're talking about the difference between the small companies and the large companies. And something that I've been really particularly interested in is how you make that jump. And I think it's really important for companies to think about and for recruitment in terms of how do you get folks who are value add versus just folks that are in that same culture. Um, And that's really where we run into a bunch of these challenges. And that's why it can be so important for us to really have a hand on culture and try to drive it with with intention along with our values and the outcomes that we want in business and for people, right? Um, So for me, that's why it's important to think really critically when you go in that jump from 10 people to 100 people, somewhere in there, culture really solidifies and it becomes really difficult to kind of backtrack from there. Yeah, Yeah, we've seen a couple of those examples. I think uh, Coinbase and Basecamp both basically said like, hey, this is our new new company culture. If you don't like it, uh, we have a nice severance package for you. <laughs> so uh, it, it is th- th- interesting, like how like culture for bigger companies now is so intertwined that some of them are kind of like taking a step back, like, hey, we need to like redefine this from the scratch. Uh, if you don't like it, then I'm sorry, but you can take off. It's, yeah, it's, it's a great, I, I don't really have a good answer on, on how to do it on scale because I think it's so individual. But I, I think the basic principles that you laid out, Naomi, with autonomy and stuff like that, that's like, uh, I would also agree that that's like really core to the experience of an engineer to be able to enjoy their day-to-day work. Yeah, I, I really agree. As, as an engineer, it's, it's really quite annoying when you get things pushed down on you. You want to be given the trust and, and the room to to, to yeah, make your own engineering decisions and experiment and uh, and, and yeah, you want to feel the, the trust of the organization and rather than so, so you feel that you can make your your own decisions. I think that's really important as an engineer. I agree. But to get that, that culture to thrive and to keep going, I mean, I said uh, in one of Simon Sinek's book, there was a, there's like a reference to, I can't remember which company it was now, that was every, when they were reaching 150 people or more, they split the company in two, just to not have a bigger uh, uh, a bigger company than 150, because that's kind of a magical number when you start feeling uh, like it's not one in the room anymore, you're just out there in, in too far away from where stuff is happening. Mm. So that, that's, I mean, I don't know. So between 2,000 people or three or 10,000 people, where's the culture? It would use subcultures within the company as well. Mm. It's not, I don't know. Um, I think size of the team or the, the group you're creating culture for is very important as well. 
Nice. I think um, just just sitting here listening, the the key things coming out of there is is how important to establish the culture is. Um, and I know, so, so obviously as a freelance broker, we work a lot with Klarna in the Swedish market and they have a similar rule when a team gets to a certain size, they'll then split it into two teams just to be able to maintain the culture that everybody enjoys. Um, so yeah, some really cool pieces of advice there. Now, yeah. Johan, your, your question is similar in terms of staying on culture, um, yeah. but more from a, a perspective of how do you build a culture within the organization that values technical and product orientated creativity? Yeah. Yeah. So let me just give a bit of background to that. Uh, so for me, I, I've always been an engineer with like product, product uh, focus. So it doesn't take long for me until I feel like I need to know why I'm adding value to something. And then uh, at the end of that, I want to influence the thing that I'm building as well. Um, so like technical creativity is one part where you might want to try out new languages or technical solutions, frameworks, or whatever that might be. Uh, and then project uh, product oriented creativity is, uh, I guess the ability for you to uh, influence or partake in some part of the, the product building process. Um, so now that I'm task of building and maintaining an organization, I, I, I tend to think about this really often and I'm trying to find the pathways, making sure that everyone is feeling this creativity. Uh, since I know, uh, at least for me, it's been such an important thing. Uh, so I would be really interesting, re interested in hearing your experiences in this, like how, how do you build a culture that facilitates uh, an organization, uh, the technical and project product-oriented creativity. Um, yeah, I, I probably, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was working with a smaller team in my most previous position where I was CTO. I was overseeing some, you know, kind of technical leads, those kinds of folks. And I had inherited the teams from, um, you know, they came with the company. I was the new person, right? And so there was a culture and there was, there were things going on. And the way I got them to focus was to introduce them into, um, how do I explain it? Sales was kind of having like a follow-up meeting with their first product launch to ask users uh, what it felt like. And our users happened to be teachers. It was a, an ed tech platform. So what's it feel like to be a teacher? What's it feel like to be a student? And basically I invited a bunch of my leads in from the tech side because everyone was really siloed. Um, and when they were exposed to real people saying, hey, uh, this thing was really difficult. It didn't matter how many times I said it in a meeting. We are here for users. We are here for teachers. It didn't matter how many times I said it in a meeting, how many metrics I showed them. It didn't matter. When they got real people there that they could see and hear the pain points and the frustration, I saw this, this great light bulb moment. Is that completely scalable? No, we're talking about a certain team size, right? But that's where I saw them shift that focus to be like, wait, I remember when that teacher was doing X. For me, then, attendance becomes something that's a more important feature than this other feature. Did they always make the right call? Not necessarily, but they suddenly had a sense of who was on the other side of the screen. So for me, I found that helped the product orientation. But I'm sure there's other approaches that are more scalable. <laughs> I think that's that's a great one. It uh, really shines a light on that. Because I, I think it's very easy for you to, you know, you, you keep building your product. And then at some point when someone is like using it wrong, like hey why are you using it wrong <laughs> uh, but like you say when you're presented with that person you realize like okay uh, maybe i should have done this better and it sparks that creativity i think that's a really good point like having teams that actually understand their their users and having teams that can take 
full ownership of their their product and where they see what they deliver is the actual product that the users use, not the technical implementation of that product. Because I think often as a as an engineer, when you sit in your like when you're when you're sitting and developing, what you're delivering, it feels like it's the code that you write. But what you should be thinking is actually the product that your users will be using. That's what you're actually delivering. To shift that focus from the, the really just technical uh, code to the actual products that the users would be uh, seeing. Yeah, I think it's, but I, honestly, I think you can. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the, uh, if you, uh, you use, you use uh, the um, a testers in the right way, you would Part of it, uh, if they can be the the, um, the customer uh, and do those stupid things that you shouldn't do, it is uh, is good for the product as well, and and pretty annoying for the developers. But building that culture, I think, uh, like you said, bringing in customers to, to see or bringing customers together with the developers is, is very good. Um, I think also when you hire people it is when you can. Build your culture, especially if you're a startup. Uh, I think you need to highlight uh, what is important for uh, your company to, to thrive and what you want to be remembered as, and how do you want to treat people to treat people. I mean, that is that is very important. Do you want them to share, or do you want them to hold their stuff for themselves? Do you want them to respect each other? Or isn't that important? Uh, you want them to treat each other in, in, a, in a good manner or doesn't that matter? And all that kind of stuff, all these soft things are very important. If you don't get those right, um, you will end up like that gaming company I'm not going to mention uh, with a bad culture. And uh, that would, uh, though I might work for a while, but in the end, it's just going to come crashing down on you. So hiring people, setting the culture, what do you think? how people can be and behave and respect each other and encourage each other to to to, uh, to build, to help each other grow and not to climb on top of each other, depending on what kind of culture you want, actually. But, but I think it's important. Yeah. And then, then just to, to finally add to that, uh, from what has been successful for me so far is uh, then, of course, you need to spark that creativity, which is mainly what we've been talking about now. Uh, but I, I guess you also need to have then very clear channels for where people have their creativity outbursts. Like sometimes it's the coder just doing an extra bit of work for something that they really enjoy. But sometimes it's actually like uh, you want to do a feature or a, a, like a larger thing. And then you can't do that by yourself. You need to involve other people. So that's also something uh, to be conscious about, I guess, uh, when building this. Like how do we have that feedback loop? So it's uh, properly maintained. I think there's two things and it depends kind of the size of your organization. But yes, the feedback loop is completely important, but also the random creativity and like driving tech forward. Um, once you get to a certain size, it can be appropriate to have like quarterly hack days. And mm -hmm. so, you know, those kind of crazy ideas. I want to track my droid around the office. Great, great. You've got eight hours to figure that out. Work with a business person you've never seen before. Get out of your silo, you know, do something good. And I've seen companies both do it that way where they, you know, they have these hack days that are completely random, just ideas people have. I've also seen people take some of that time and dedicate it to a community project. So, you know, a nonprofit kind of, you know, they need a, an app that's about, you know, something really specific. Like, 
I would like to drive people from one place to another for voting and we want to launch this app in a few weeks. Can you get us, can you get us a base or a prototype? Um, and it is actually possible to do that in a one or two day hack, as long as you've got good business design and meetings kind of before that hack um, to actually create some kind of social impact because the nonprofit has sort of, you know, tagged in, but it does give engineers um, and other biz dev folks different opportunities to think about new problem sets. And that kind of thinking often seeds new thinking inside the company too. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. Nice. I'll, um, I think, again, just reflecting on, on that uh, on that topic, um, I think something that, that definitely comes across is, yes, getting the culture is is key, but also, like you said, maintaining it, how you do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I like those ideas. And Tobias, we'll come to you for for your question. A little bit different, which is a it's a it's a really interesting question as well. How can we provide tools that increase productivity and help engineers to focus on their efforts on on what they do best, which you would think is building good products for the company? Yeah, so I think um, so. Th this question, you can you can uh, I guess you can take a bit more hands-on approach. This one, you can talk specific tools or we can talk a little bit broader, but this question is um, it's more about just, yeah, how, how do we like, how can we help engineers to to just focus on, on building the products rather than, you know, like figuring out, oh, how do I deploy this again? Or how do I, uh, yeah, like configuring tools, uh, different environments and so like, how can we just get all of those things out of the way so that engineers can really focus on on what they're there to do to build great products for for the customers. Um, I've been I've been uh, thinking a little bit for this uh, myself and experimenting a little bit with um, trying to first of all just set up my because as a as a developer I spend a lot of time customizing my uh, like my workstation that like I I use the I customize my IDE, my editor that I write code, like I put down a bunch of plugins. I set up short keys so I can be as productive as possible. And, uh, but then if I need to, for example, switch laptop, or I always have two laptops because I have the work uh, computer and then I have my personal computer and I want the setup to be the same. So if I make some, some change, I add some command, then I want, then I need to go and do that on my other computer as well. And that's just really annoying. So I, I wanna, I've been thinking about how can we provide tools and, and this goes beyond just my personal tools but like how can we do this on a more organizational level uh, so that we can all reap the benefits of these tools not just something that each developer spends their time um, doing and they, we're quite used to doing this when it comes to for example uh, different when it comes to our applications how we deploy them it's pretty common to have say for example infrastructure as code that it's easy to uh, you can review and then you can you can change over time and it's easy for for um, it's uh, it's it's easy to 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 reuse. So I've been looking at this and thinking about how can we do this uh, for our own development tools that we're using uh, on our computers. So uh, I, I would I would be really interested to hearing. So I have some ideas uh, that I've been that I've been trying out, like setting up uh, using Ansible, which are, which is a configuration management tool uh, that maybe is normally used for for. Um, like application, like runtime environments, but I've been trying it out for, for my computer, just trying to, to get my personal setup so that I can, so that I can uh, just set up my computer. For example, if I switch to a new laptop, I can just run one command and then it's, I get my environment in just a couple of minutes rather than days that it would normally take me to, to set up everything. So I would be really interested in hearing if if uh, some of you have experience with this in your organizations, how, how this can be, on an like organizational level. 
Yeah. Um, but one thing to note is I, I think this one is uh, like speaking against like the obvious answer here is like more standardization, I guess, will increase productivity, which would uh, decrease developer freedom in a lot of other regards. So there's like a tight balance you have to walk there. Um, but I guess uh, from my my takeaway is um, as you grow, you you need to assign certain uh, areas to certain teams or people uh, and let them handle like what the standardization will become and that gives them freedom to uh, creatively find a, a a reason or sorry a tool to to do that work for them and then have that be pushed out to the organization and uh, the beautiful beautiful thing with that is uh, even if you are a quite big company, you can have groups which are like free to join. You can think of it as uh, like an open source project. Like uh, at this company, I really care about um, how we do DevOps, for example. Then I'll, I'll join their, uh, the DevOps committee or something and we'll together figure out how we do it. And then we'll basically just push out uh, a notice for everyone else who's not in the committee, but also does DevOps. I think that's a good balance that I've seen uh, from previous works. Uh, but if you're small enough, then you can kind of just uh, take it as you go, I think is the right answer. But you, you need to kind of build that into the organization like you uh, were um, pointing towards uh, if you're yeah, yeah. scaling up. But I guess that's my, my takeaway from that one. I think that's a, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Uh, having a team that, that takes care of, of the like kind of platform uh, work and uh, yeah, the, the um, just who kind of has the the other teams as their customers like mm. they deliver features that can empower the other development teams that that uh, actually work on, on the products. I think that um, it takes a lot of the kind of cognitive load from the product development teams and so that we have so you have the platform team that can take care of of this and then the product it leaves more room for the product development teams to actually focus on what they are supposed to do building the products yes i think that's a really good point and a good thing is you can like you can scale that quite far i think and you can be quite granular or quite uh, high level like you could even go as far as like what uh, linter are we going to use for javascript projects like uh, that could be one of the things that like, you can be really granular if you want to, de depending on how, how you're setting it up, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can only agree. I don't have any input, really. Um, no, Naomi, anything else you would add on, on that topic? I mean, kind of in a little bit of a different direction. <laughs> but for me, the most helpful thing with, with tooling and thinking about that is thinking about junior devs. And when they come on the team, you telling them like how much they should be thinking about this or not. Like if they should be customizing or not, that they should have, you know, a certain amount of time that they can play with it and learn how to do those things. Um, but beyond that, we do not want people falling down the rabbit hole. Um, so that's the only thing I would add to this conversation, which is a little bit of a different direction with thinking about junior devs and helping them into this world and, you know, finding their way and getting their own autonomy in a reasonable time set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I actually, I would argue that it would that it helps a lot as a junior dev to, because uh, normally now when you come into an organization and you're, you're starting to, you're always exposed to full stack stuff normally. Like even if you are working only with the Android app or only with the front end or whatever, like you, you talk to other engineers and you get to know about the other systems and at some point you're going to have some interaction with it. So I would argue that uh, having some sort of 
standard, which is regulated by the employees, uh, would help a junior dev because they are they don't have to care about all the fuss around it. They just learn to do that thing, and then once they grow passionate about something, they they are able to contribute to that topic. Yeah, but, but it's a great point. Like, yeah, and I think definitely you should not complicate things too much. Then it will only mm. <laughs> every onboarding. Nice, thank you. Um, it's a good, it's quite good Naomi to kind of throw in a, a different angle and and a different viewpoint. I think that's what makes the these conversations good. Um, but no, really good topic, and thanks for bringing that to bias. Um, now, Marcus, we'll move on to to your question, which again I think is a little bit of a curveball, a bit of a different direction, um, and it's more on. Are we focusing on the right thing? Should we not focus on how to get the engineers to love the job? So yeah, tell us more about um, that topic. Yes, so I'd um, I'm more kind of a uh, I like the soft the soft um, soft skills. I think they are very important, and I also think that that all the the pushy stuff around the engineers or anyone at, at the office is going to help uh, help people uh, feel better. Uh, like to go to work and well if you like to go to work you produce better uh, um, so we don't you don't need to focus on how to get the engineers the, the productivity it will go up if people like to go to but do their job um, instead focus on, on how do you get the engineers or, or anyone actually like their job what is missing and what can we improve to to uh, to, to uh, make feet uh, make people feel feel more uh, enthusiastic about being at work and yeah that's my thought yeah i i think uh, you're you're onto something with uh, um like when people enjoy their work and that that's definitely the angle i had with my question as well but i would be interested then marcus to know like um do you have any like what's your top things that you that is really important for you to love your work it's it because we've talked a lot about culture now and organization uh but is that is it something beyond that yeah i I think it's also i mean culture is one thing uh freedom of uh, uh, attacking the problem solving getting the solution right as you want to and maybe like um naomi said having a, a quarterly or once every month or once every other sprint like a day or two of working with with whatever topic you want to to get the the inspiration and the enthusiasm going in the company you could take on anywhere and don't stare them too much uh, i think one of those things that are very important that's where i'm going to i think and, and give them freedom freedom and trust uh, i think those are the most trust uh, especially if they can do a good job yeah definitely but one thing uh, uh, you talked about early naomi in, in your question uh, which we haven't touched upon much since is uh, like the social part as well uh, with your colleagues. You mentioned having like book clubs and uh, things like that. I, I think that's also, I guess that should grow organically, but from uh, larger organizations I've been at previously, I found a great deal of fun with like book clubs and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Like that's the first time I ever played D&D, uh, just hanging out with a couple of colleagues from work. And I, I found out I really liked it. And that was like a highlight uh, Every month we would do one of those sit downs after work. And uh, I think that's also a really like if if anyone has the energy to organize it, uh, that can bring a lot of uh, good energy to the colleagues. For sure. And I think another thing aside from the social clubs that I found as a lifeline when I was working with a company remote through the pandemic, you know, I had never met these folks in person. 
And one thing their leadership did, like not even just execs, like also the leadership, the level under, they had random times when they had an hour open in their, in their calendar, they put on their Zoom and they said, great, we're playing snakes and ladders, or this is latte day, or this is whatever. So like the social stuff from peer to peer, but also the place where leaders can be a little more accessible, especially in these kind of remote um, environments where you can't, you can't sidle up beside someone in the coffee room and just be like, hey, I saw a thing you did that was cool, right? You can't do that with leaders right now when you're just computer to computer. So I found that creating that space was really great too. Um, thinking about culture and getting devs to love their jobs and, and all of that, I think there's also another thing, and it kind of depends maybe on the age and maturity of a person and or dev. So, you know, age can be um, also like you're just starting your first dev job when you're 46 and you've come out of a, a reskilling, or it can, you know, whatever it is, just how long your career is and where you are in that. Some people are going to need like hero's journey development kind of things. It's like this, this saying with a relationship, you're never going to be happy in a relationship unless you're happy with yourself. Mm. The devs are never going to be happy with their job if they haven't like gone through some pieces of development. Now, some, some younger maturity devs are going to be, but at some point, at some point, like there's only so long you can stay in one place as a person. And I think that's true just for people generally, but I think it's really important with engineers because Obviously, they are working with complex problem sets all the time. They think a certain way and are a certain way. And I think workplaces could do well by devs by introducing some further access for kind of personal and professional development. Um, some things aligned with company value and some things as kind of like suggestions that are available for them to access. Um, I'm not sure how else to really elaborate on that, but I'm curious what you all think about that as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, something that's kind of being shouldered by the by the community right now. Uh, I don't know how, how many like uh, businesses, and I don't know if, if that should be the responsibility either of the company. Uh, I I don't really have a strong opinion on it, but it's interesting that you're uh, that you're mentioning it because uh, especially if you're a junior dev or uh, any kind of minority in software development, there's lots of really cool communities on Twitter, like supporting each other, helping your through that journey, like posting articles and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, so I think people have uh, like taken it upon themselves by forming these communities. And uh, may maybe that is something that uh, companies uh, should like connect with more, I guess, to help out, especially junior devs or I guess whoever is uh, wanting to improve, because I guess it goes beyond just uh, like going to a conference to learn something new. Uh, now it's uh, like it's more it's more psychological now like it's the talk about the imposter syndrome and how that's okay everyone is feeling that and like it it's uh, it's an, at another level now than where it's been like 10 years ago or something I guess it's mm -hmm. an interesting thing to to think about for sure nice anybody anything else to add Tobias what about you I think it's uh, I think this topic it, it ties into at least if I think about my personal experience or my, my personal like how I feel as an engineer is uh, like I, I think this uh, like getting out of like kind of getting things out of the way so that the engineers can really focus on doing their job uh, like not having this like constantly bumping into obstacles everywhere like but like bumping into the team stepping on each other's toes or or like having unclear uh like ownership or something like that like i think that that, that really gets on my nerves at least <laughs> uh 
Um, and so I think if, if I get the freedom to kind of work autonomously, like we've, we've discussed and um, like, yeah, get the trust to, to do uh, my engineering work uh, the way I, the way I see fit, then, then I will, I will uh, thrive and really love my job at Organization. But of course, it's also important to have this, uh, you don't want to be stuck in the same role for, for too long times. So it's also, of course, it's, it's also important to have ways that you can evolve uh, and kind of yeah, help uh, your engineers in, in how they can how they can develop uh, the way that they want and like take the in the in the direction that they want. So thinking a little bit about what you're talking about with removing barriers um, for all the leaders that are listening to this podcast, the best thing you can do is put a credit card in everybody's hand, and then purchases that are under four hundred dollars get to go ahead or whatever your number is. In terms of they need to pick up a lunch for a team member, they need to pick up earphones, they need to pick up. Like please purchase orders for keyboards when our devs just can't use their keyboard because the end key is gone, right? Like um, money often unblocks things in a way that like all these like cute culture gift bag things will not. <laughs> so I would appreciate if more companies had the trust and we're just like, great, that's the limit. Just like do the thing you need to do. Um, and that can also help a little bit of a higher price point um, than 400. But with folks who are transitioning into uh, dev work, they're probably coming from different backgrounds, if they're coming from non-traditional education and marginalized communities. Uh, when you're asking your staff to pre-book their own travel and you have not provide means or resources, some of your staff are going to get better rooms than other staff, and that's not cool. So that's just the thing I would like to let leadership know. <laughs> uh, hand people credit cards. And I know it becomes a big trust thing, a big leadership discussion, but it, at the end of the day, it saves so much time and process. And it makes, you know, like Tobias sitting there with his broken headphones for two weeks, you know, the developer satisfaction goes up a lot because he just fixed that problem and he didn't even have to involve any kind of management level or anyone else's resource hours. So please let Tobias fix his headphones. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've never actually heard that, Naomi. I think that's such a good, uh, yeah, it kind of ticks the box, like you said, of trust and, and solving problems. Um, and I think just, just to circle back to what you said, Tobias, I often, as, a, as someone who works with freelancers day in, day out, finding them new projects, I often hear I want a project or I want a culture where I can grow and I can learn as an individual. Um, so I think that's super important and definitely relates back to, to the topic of let's get engineers to love coming to work rather than focusing on creating a culture that we think they'll love. Let's actually get them to love the job. Um, nice. Now, I think we do have time for another question, which um, was one suggested by Naomi, which I actually really liked. Um, and that's the question of how do I prote protect my engineer's time? Um, and I think on a personal level, I'm really interested to hear any thoughts on this one, um, even outside of tech and outside of engineering. I think time management is a key skill that is quite difficult to learn and definitely hard to master. Um, so, yeah, tell us more, Naomi. Well, I do think it's relevant inside and outside of tech. Engineers specifically are working on problem sets. Um, that it's difficult to context switch. And we know this, right? We know that it's it's challenging to go from one thing to another. We shouldn't pull them out for meetings, but people sometimes give a nod to this and don't actually consider the structures and processes involved in creating a culture that enables heads down work days. And I do believe the core issue here, the core issue is about a lack of trust on management's perspective because they want to know that people are present. When people are typing in Slack, 
when people are showing up on video, we know that they are at work, right? So there's one piece where we need to be okay to know that deliverables can be communicated in a way that does not involve making sure your Slack light is on all the time and does not involve you having to be in meetings so that people can have Wednesday heads down across the engineering org to make sure people are doing deep thinking about problem sets. I think that's that's one part of it. Um, I think there are other pieces that go into it at an organizational level that you can do uh, across biz dev, marketing, everything, and simply say, every meeting must have an agenda. Try this for two weeks, three weeks. Every meeting must have an agenda. The agenda must go out 48 hours before the meeting. And beside everyone's, like you must list in the agenda all required attendees. And beside every attendee, you must list three words explaining why they're there. And it will just shift. It will shift your organizational thinking. Um, it might be uncomfortable and people might not want to say some things. Oh, yes, Mr. So-and-so is there because he is a hippo, highest paid person in the room. Therefore, he must be there. Is it true or is it an ego thing? Is this a, is this a discussion or a conversation that requires a hippo? Or is this a, a work group? Or So then as a, a company, you start to learn that there are different kinds of meetings, whereas companies who haven't thought through this might not have different kinds of meetings. But you could have working group meetings, you could have all kinds of things. You shouldn't have meetings with 600 people sitting in them that don't know why they're sitting there. So that would be my recommendation is to try that exercise and to only be inviting people into meetings when you know why they should be there and make sure everyone has an agenda so that people also have the freedom in your culture to say, hey, um, thanks for adding me to this. I've reviewed the agenda. This is coming up in a couple of days. I'm not sure I really understand where I'm a value add. Could you explain a little bit? Um, and making sure that you're open to having that conversation. Um, and this relates back to engineers, because if you want to have a day where they don't work, then you have to also reduce some of the meetings and some of the culture that work looks like meetings. Work doesn't always look like meetings. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. be in knowing if that's uh, more prevalent with like remote work or less. Uh, and uh, like at what scale the company is usually at because uh, it kind of like the way you framed it it sounds like uh, management uh, is kind of afraid of letting go a bit and maybe that happens during like a scale up where uh, you're kind of losing control no matter what um, but one thing on this is uh, first of all there are organizational structure like we all ha have heard about scrum and uh, like that have, hasn't really worked for me, but uh, <laughs> but like there there are definitely like frameworks that try to solve this issue uh, at scale at least. Um, but the thing uh, that's been most successful for me so far is uh, the thing you touched upon a bit, Naomi, was pushing out autonomy and decision making as far down the branches as you can. Because when you do that, um, people will mature and realize that they are actually responsible for something and they do have the autonomy of like making the choice and hopefully that then spills in to kind of meetings as well. Uh, maybe you'll have to like be on the lookout and make sure to remind people to like, hey, you can actually skip this, you know, you, you seem a bit stressed or whatever because some people might have a hard time saying no. Uh, but uh, in general, I, I feel like that's a good thing because then you, when you feel that responsibility and you're not just doing another uh, story in Jira, but you actually have that responsibility, then you're more inclined to say like, no, I mean, I, I actually want to deliver this on Friday. So that means I won't be able to take a meeting today. And uh, I think that's the way to go. But I don't know if it scales uh, because, yeah, I, I guess it's hard to make sure that everyone is actually practicing that. <laughs> I think the point of having uh, autonomous teams is, is really good so that the team can solve 
uh, most of its problems like within the team, because then you will reduce the amount of, of meetings and, and reaching out, waiting for response from other teams, because I think that's a real time killer, like this syncing between teams all the time. So if you can have autonomous teams that can take like full end-to-end -end, uh, responsibility, and that has capacity to work maybe both on the front end and the back end, maybe have some different skill sets in the team, so they can really solve uh, the problem within the team. I think that's that really helps uh, to reduce these uh, these time wastes. Uh, that is like cross team uh, synchronization. I like the idea with the agenda. I definitely agree on that one. Um, I tend to not. Uh, there's not an agenda in a meeting. I uh, tend to decline because I would like to know what what's in it for me and why should I be there? Um, so I think that's good. And then the other way you said that three words for why a person should be there, that, that gives you a thought of is this person really uh, needed or not? Um, it goes for all the meetings you have, uh, small or big ones, doesn't matter. I think it's a good good idea and good approach. It will, uh, you'll think twice before you invite someone because some people, like you say, are just quiet, sitting there listening, and that's it. And it might be good, but sometimes you, you probably want something out of uh, the person who's in that meeting as well. Yeah, I think it's maybe especially relevant in, in, in remote setups because it's so easy to just add more and more people because it's just a Teams link or a Zoom link or, or, or whatever yeah. you use. Uh, it's so easy to just share the invite with so many people, yeah. and then you have 50 people sitting there and no one has any idea why they're in that meeting. But they're there yeah. because they're afraid maybe there's something important they would miss out if they're not there. So yeah, they're sitting there listening in, but not contributing uh, to the meeting. So yeah, I think it's very relevant in, in remote uh, work setups. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Marcus. I yeah, I had uh, I took over a team this this autumn where I had 15 people in the stand-up and uh, and uh, there was actually there was nothing coming out of the, the stand-up, so I, I cut it down to one person basically in the team, and then shit started to happen, uh, and uh, then that person went over to we. Consolidate, put two teams together instead, and so the other four teams they were not contribu contributing too much to the the whole the whole um, product we were developing, which is also people are just hanging on for because they've been called to a meeting or and they don't know what's why am I here or maybe there's something I will miss so I might just go there just in case of. And that's kind of a waste of money. And I think it relates it relates to a couple of the other things we've talked about here today. Are you creating social space spaces, whether in this hybrid environment or online? Mm -hmm. um, is there a way to access leadership in a less formal way? How do we communicate our deliverables? You know, people show up at meetings because sometimes they're not sure what else they're supposed to be doing, whether that's in person or online. Um, and I think if we start to create this ecosystem for them where they understand how each of these pieces of work is contributing, then that helps, right? Yeah, yeah and uh, like uh, previously we framed it as uh, maybe managers afraid of letting go and wanting to have control. And that's why people are like a kind of forced or there's a culture of them having to attend the meetings. But um, I guess if there's anyone, uh, any leaders listening to this, like I guess that's the most easiest way to optimize as well. Like. If you have a one hour meeting with 40 people, that's a whole person's work week of time that's just uh, consumed basically. So uh, that's a good thing to think about as well. Like if you are feeling like uh, things are going slow and 
and you need to like speed up or whatever it might be, what whatever metric you're looking at, like optimizing optimizing meetings might be one of the most easiest thing you can do uh, internally without like doing too much work actually <laughs> to regain a couple of hours. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think if we put a dollar figure on each meeting, leadership might reconsider. <laughs> that should actually yeah. 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 Think. <laughs> Yeah, in the end, like it pops up how much it cost it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's a brilliant business idea, unless anyone has already made that. So make that happen, and I'll pay for that. <laughs> I definitely feel like there's an online tool going to be uh, be created for that because <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. Um, but no, as we we approach the hour mark, does anyone else have anything else to? Does anyone else have anything else yet to uh, contribute? And it can be on on anything um, that we've discussed here. No, perfect. I mean, I've had a really good time kind of listening to you all. It's been really insightful. Um, So, yeah, just want to take this time while we've got the listeners on to say thank you to Naomi, Tobias, Marcus, uh, Johan for coming to this podcast and just sharing your your ideas and your thoughts um if anyone who is listening is interested in joining me on a podcast feel free to drop a message on linkedin um but yeah for now thank you all for that